It's Packet Pushers Heavy Networking, and today we're talking about cloud-delivered security for user access. Today's sponsor, Palo Alto Networks, has got a few years of customer success under its belt with its product, Prisma Access. Now, Prisma Access is a cloud-delivered security service. User traffic is forwarded into the nearest point of presence, and then Palo takes it over and transports it to where it needs to go. And on the way that it moves through the Palo Alto backbone or the Prisma Access backbone, they apply AI and ML-powered threat detection. You get the policy-based access control. You get optimal path selection, so sort of a bit SD-WAN-y there as well. You get user logging and authentication. You get a whole lot of cloud access security broking, and it's all inside this Prisma Access cloud-hosted service. Now, you can go and read a brochure and white papers and find all those details for yourself, so I'm not going to keep going. And we've discussed the basics of Prisma Access in lots of other podcasts, which you've listened to already, right? And today we're joined by Josh Dye. He's an SVP at Jefferies Group who actually used Prisma Access to move Jefferies to distributed work during the pandemic. He was lucky enough to be in a situation where he had an early deployment and he was able to scale it up. He's going to be talking about his experiences of using Prisma Access in the real world. Riding shotgun is Kumar Ramachandran. He is a Senior Vice President of Product at Palo Alto Networks. You will know Kumar from his many appearances on PP. Right, let's get to business. Now, Josh, let's kick off with a short description of what Jefferies does, because I think that business context matters to our discussion of Prisma Access. Yeah, so Jefferies is actually one of the largest independent full-service global investment banks headquartered out of the United States. We're roughly 4,000 employees with a couple of thousand consultants spread across 33 global offices. As I mentioned, headquarters in New York. Uh, we have regional headquarters in London, uh, actually Sydney, uh, a couple others. Mm-hmm. And then just a little bit about Jefferies as a whole. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of a, not your traditional consumer bank, you know, Citibank uh, that has a consumer arm or more B2B. Uh, we help a lot of t- companies uh, with a lot of different financial things, running books, or even just recently, we ran some IPOs for some big companies like uh, Cloudflare. So we ran, we were a lead book runner in their IPO in 2019. Um, stuff like that. So we're, the, we're, you know, all over the place. And, and that's important because a financial institution with those types of responsibilities has various duties and responsibilities for security oh, yeah. to the SEC, to the financial markets and so forth. So you actually have a high priority security posture. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we definitely heavily regulated uh, entity. Um, as you mentioned, SEC, SOC compliance, um, all mm-hmm. those other regulatory bodies uh, really require a lot of us. So you know, we, we definitely have to take that into consideration when we're looking at different products and solutions to protect our network. And uh, that's one of the main things I handle is network security, as well as like our you know, WAF, SIEM, uh, UEBA, uh, a couple of things is what I take a look after. And that that's very critical for our company. Right. So there's so there's those responsibilities, and you've got to you're answerable. You're not like, oh yeah, we do security. You've actually got uh, real penalties attached to it. When we talked earlier as we prepared for the show, and you were saying like you'd started with uh, the Prisma access from Palo Alto pre-pandemic, and then all of a sudden the pandemic came along, and it was like you're you sort of hinted to me that you basically just turned it on for all your employees. Is that kind of right or less right? Oh yeah, I mean, so as you kind of said. I brought in uh, Palo Alto as a Palo Alto customer with on-prem firewalls. Uh, I wanted to expand upon that for our remote workforce, and this is pre-pandemic. And so we brought in Prisma Access. Uh, we we did a POC, we deployed it, all that fun stuff. And our main use case was around the laptops. Um, so our mobile workforce, our we have bankers that travel nonstop. You know, obviously mm. before pre-COVID, but 
on the plane, out in customers, running pitches, all that kind of stuff. And we need to be able to have that experience at their laptop that they're taking with them to be very similar, if not exactly the same as the kind of experience that they would have sitting at their office computer. So that's where Prisma Access came in. I was able to uh, really consolidate a lot of our security policies where we're using you know, other proxies for different technologies, depending on the computer you're on. Um, yeah. It was just all over the place. And yeah, you'd have IPsec VPNs and some users would access this and you might have a, a couple of different yeah, VPNs. Yeah. 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 So like, I mean, just we have uh, our, our primary deployment is VDIs for the large, vast majority of our employees. And then we have you know laptops for our mobile workforce that are out and about all the time. And a lot of the times you, you would have a banker that has both a laptop and a VDI and he'd come to be like, hey, Josh, you know, I, I'm trying to get to this site or I'm trying to do X, Y, and Z and it works great on my VDI, but then I go home or I'm out at a client. I try to do the same thing and it doesn't work. You know, what gives? Right. So you've got that remote access problem where there's things that you use in VDI and that's where internal in-house apps, I imagine, that sort of don't yeah. travel well. But you've also got people who want to do Excel and spreadsheets and run local apps on the machines and you've got to cater to both use cases. Exactly. And we have to make it to where it works uh, seamlessly across both different environments. I mean, I, I can't have a banker come to me like, hey, you know, as I just mentioned, what, why does it work in one, not the other? And they don't care what the technology is. And like, oh, it's, it's because there's different proxies. And they don't care. You know, they, they just want to be able to do their job. So that's kind of, you know, I'm like, okay, let's take a step back. What, what's the problem here? And it's, uh, you know, we need to, I need to deploy out a single unified policy base and from a security blanket and, you know, regardless of where they are, they're at home, Starbucks, in the office, doesn't matter, right? That, so that, that's where Prism Access came in. That unified access thing, I, I, don't, I don't think I can understand how valuable that is. Like that ability to say everybody's coming into one tool and you can apply the same policy to everybody, or at least you can see the policy in one place. You don't have to go... A VPN concentrator to a AAA server to edge apps and, and you try and stitch it all. This is all just done in Prisma, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So um with the model of Prisma Access, you know, there's pops everywhere. So for the for the laptops, which is our primary use case, pops into any one of those pops. It has all the same policy, regardless of where it is. And that policy matches and mirrors exactly what we have on prem. And so that is really, again, that unification and that single policy and security blanket, mm. uh, as you will, you know, security blanket and wherever they are. Is that security blanket means you don't wake up in a panic attack at three in the morning? That's right. Hey, listen, <laughs> I got, you know, I got to get, the, I got to keep the sweats away. It's one way or the other. <laughs> so Kuma, let's bring you in here. Now, you obviously uh, have been working with Josh and, you, you know, we've spoken with Josh in shorter podcasts before today. Is this sort of experience that Josh is talking about, is that consistent? Are other customers doing it or is this sort of a, a fairly typical story? Yeah, I mean, the, the, this is such a trans, massive transformation happening across the industry and it really got accelerated with COVID. So the when you look at three big forces that are impacting our industry as relevant to Prisma Access, uh, the very first is digital transformation. Uh, oftentimes, you know, when you say digital transformation, it, it can be nebulous and fuzzy, right? What the hell is it? The pandemic has really crystallized it for many enterprises. The fact that I have to reach my customer, not just uh, in one location, but I oftentimes have to go to my customer, right? You look at uh, retail, all of a sudden at a retail store, uh, there is full integration with the online presence, 
order offline, uh, get it on online or order online, pick it up offline, all mm-hmm. kinds of combinations. Same thing in fast food, right? We no longer just walk up to a restaurant. We can place multimodal ordering, multiple forms of pickup, etc. So you look at this big retail, uh, not just retail, right? R- big branch transformation driven by digital. That's uh, definitely impacted how you build out your network. At the same time, of course, we saw the emergence of work from anywhere in a very, very powerful way. And the interesting thing is even post-pandemic, the full expectation of most of our customers is that there's going to be some form of flexible work either at the office or from home or from, uh, from the road, even after the pandemic is done. So what that has done is really, really it has led to the de-perimeterization of uh, your enterprise. Yeah. But I think the challenge there is, of course, and the thing we haven't touched on is that Prisma Access includes authentication, this idea of zero trust, because you actually have to move the trust layer out to the edge of the network. So Prisma Access isn't just like, oh, once the traffic gets into the cloud, then it's secure. You are actually securing out to the edge as well. Yeah, you're right. You know, when when we think about security, especially in the context of zero trust, uh, there's two big buckets, right? One half is making sure I can give as granular policies as my business and security model dictate. So if I need to uh, narrow the exposure down to a user and application combination, rather than trusting anyone that makes it into the network, I can absolutely do it. But that's Mm -hmm. one half of the problem. In fact, oftentimes, uh, you know, a lot of our industry literature only focuses on the access control piece of it. Mm -hmm. The second half of the problem is that you still need to verify and apply deep security, right? Uh, As we all start getting back on planes, the first half of zero trust really is that, uh, yeah, I'm going to check your ticket, your source, destination, your visa. But then after that, you're going to get a a body scan or in the case of Greg, maybe a more invasive body search. Uh, (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. I think think the, the way I think of that is once you've authenticated someone to the network, that doesn't mean that the security stops because no. they might be in a coffee shop and then somebody might get a hold of the laptop and then can be able to be a malicious actor. You know, the employees might head off to the toilet, you know, and somebody can then, they've got a laptop which is logged in. You can't, I don't think you want to be assuming, and this is this is part of where these cloud security brokers is they're constantly scanning the security, the flow, the network data. They're looking at the application going past and making decisions about what's allowed and what's not. That's exactly right. You have to apply deep security. And so what we do with Prisma Access is both halves, right? Of course, we apply your zero trust access controls, but then we also apply the full stack of security. And you know, recently, just a few weeks ago, we released Prisma Access 2.0. Uh, one of the features in that is something I'm super excited about. It's ML-powered security, right? Oftentimes, uh, you know, when you hear too many buzzwords, clearly in our industry, there is no ML washing. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 yes. <laughs> Never ever, right? But uh, here's what we did. We released ML-powered security on our next-gen firewalls last year, and then now we've uh, released it at scale as part of Prisma Access, and 95% of new threats that come in, we're able to stop with our ML-based approach. The ML-based approach is signature-less. So in traditional security models, 
you know, you, you, there is a first patient that needs to be there. You build uh, signatures off of it, and then you have to propagate out those signatures. With our approach, we avoid all that. Inline, signatureless, 95% of threats get caught with that. The remaining 5%, of course, we got our wildfire technologies, URL filtering, a whole bunch of capabilities uh, right behind it. And that combination, right, makes it very powerful. And to the point that uh, you guys were discussing earlier, what we also have is the ability to have that security stack be consistent, whether it's your on-prem deployment that you may have had from before, what is that in Prisma Access, and even if you deploy some VMs in the cloud. So having that consistent policy and a model where all these nodes, they learn from each other, they become better, has just been very powerful. So just one of the things that uh, the financial industry is, is sort of unique about is that it needs to log everything that the staff are doing for compliance reasons. Yep. That is, yep. they need to know that, or you need to be able to prove that staff aren't colluding or doing something that's a, against the system at some point. And that has to come later. Is this, are you using Prisma Access for that? Uh, yeah, we definitely use Prisma Access for a lot of those logging capabilities. Uh, more importantly is really just making sure that the policy is set to what it needs to be to make sure they're not actually able to do what they're not supposed to be doing for compliance reasons and things like that. But to your question, like absolutely, we we definitely log what's happening on the laptop. You know, we leverage other seam solutions. We're leveraging the logs being brought in from Prisma Access. IDS IPS is applied um, and everything that there flows in together and we kind of aggregate all that data and using our SIEM and UEBA tools to identify, you know, those logs pulled from Prism Access and other areas. What is it that the user is doing? Are they browsing to, uh, you know, a bunch of job recruiting websites? Are they yeah. potentially a flight risk? Leveraging all those logs and bringing that together. When I, we're, we're, when I worked in finance, that. it was usually Lamborghinis and Jaguars and kind <laughs> 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 uh, sorry, that's uh, that's that's probably you no. Know, one of the things that we didn't touch on, now, I do want to come back. So, when the pandemic came in and you suddenly had this idea of distributed work, everybody just went to work somewhere, and whether that was home or some people coming into the office or whatever. How hard was it for you to go to switching to Prisma Access as the primary way of accessing the resources? So that's actually kind of a cool story. I mean, kind of looking back at it, I mean, when we were in the middle of it. March, April last year, it was just, it was just terrible. Um, but, you know, realistically, looking, taking a look back of our journey, you know, we had the base infrastructure there. We had Prisma Access. And as a SaaS model, it's able to easily scale up or down, right? Right. We were able, and I feel Jeffries as a whole was able to be better uh, than most of the other companies out there to be able to pivot very quickly uh, to work from home. Being a very heavy New York central office is our main headquarters, you know, the vast majority of our company works in New York. And as most everyone knows, New York was hit pretty hard. They were very quick to shut down, you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So we had to get everyone home. And what we were able to do in early April, uh, late March, early April, I can't remember exactly what it was, we just bought all sorts of laptops. We just drop shipped them there and we had them all set up and we started configuring them, imaging, and then we just started drop shipping laptops with phones, uh, with mm, you know Cisco mm. phones and to their homes and just sent all this equipment and sent a bunch of cables, a switch, it typed up a little, little instruction how to plug everything into your network and please don't oh use Wi-Fi, please plug it into hard you know router, yeah, 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 all yeah. that fun stuff. And we were able to take you know what we had 
for you know a small percentage of our mobile workforce and we just threw it out to everybody. Everybody got a laptop. And one of the cooler things is we have a bunch of traders and um, these traders, they leverage these, it's called a, it's called a turret. And mm. to be honest, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this. So if, if someone's that's familiar with turrets, will probably laugh yeah. at me, but it's basically this, if you think of like this nineties computer, it's this big box. It's like 24 inches wide by you know 12 inches tall. And it's got like 200 buttons on it. It's like 200 lines. And that's what they use to communicate with active data feeds from, you know, uh, yeah. financial data, market data that's coming in, talking to other banks, making trades live, you know, you know, yeah, when they want to make a the trade, they bang a specific button or when exactly. they want to open yeah. a trade or close a trade, they bring it. It's instead yep. of actually just typing a command, they just give them buttons because they're all so dumb. I'm oh, sorry. Did I say <laughs> that out loud? <laughs> so yeah, that, that's that exactly. I mean, they have, all these it's this main communication hub that they they require in order to make these trades because trades are very live and time sensitive so yeah. they're talking with all these other people anyways that is traditionally a very hardware centric model and like in the office they have these we have desktops because we have desktops because they had to power you know typically traders have eight ten monitors running and they have these big uh, hardware based phones that are very fancy basically just fancy phones with like 100 lines on them and like, oh, shoot, how are we going to pivot these guys to work, be able to work from home? So the biggest challenge was the, was the turret. So luckily, we were in a position where the turret that we had, we kind of did a POC of a software-based version of that. And we're like, all right, how do we make this work to where they have like a separate device? So we bought a bunch of Surface tablets or Surface laptops, right. provisioned them all, locked them down. All it does is it opens up the software leverages Prisma access in order to actually get back to the the main hub of where the telecommunication mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is, which is in our data centers. And boom, they're able to have like the software-based version. See, you said that, right? But that that is a huge deal because the oh, yeah. SEC, the requirements that you have for logging and user management and to go back for disclosure, to be able to say that trades are confidential and all that sort of stuff, that is not... That years ago, that would have taken just an unimaginable amount of effort to pass oh, through the review process. Absolutely, and so even going back, you know, talking about the seams. So we historic to pre-COVID, we have reports that kind of we track when traders are making trades out of the office because we have to report on that. If they make a trade sitting in Barcelona or sitting on a beach yeah, in yeah, Cabo yeah, or yeah. whatever, right? We need to know because they need to have pre-approval. With COVID, obviously those those restrictions were lifted, but we still had to report in those. You know, we had to be make sure that they're doing it securely. There's, you know, in the best efficient manner possible. And to your point, yeah, exactly. Like we we need to make sure that what we're delivering yeah. to the, the traders is is five years ago. You would have had a seam. You would have had oh. an IDS. You would have had an IPS. You would have had VPN concentrators. You would have AAA service. You would have had uh, proxy servers doing deep packet inspection and look to a, a separate solution doing data loss prevention. Like and now this is all just a cloud service. Yeah, <laughs> with, yeah. With, you nailed it. Yep. Right. With with one dashboard, uh, the dashboard's going to be complex because there's so much going on in there. Right. That's kind of. But you're not going to all of those different products that I just listed off. Each one of those used to have a dashboard, and if you wanted to create a report, you had to go to each one and extract the data, put it all together. That it really is quite transformational when you think about it from in that context. I think. Yeah, especially that we were able to ramp up so quickly. I mean, it was literally just a matter of following what we already had. The policy is already there, putting it on, firing it up. The authentication is there, uses certificates and Kerberos authentication, everything else. 
and boom, you know, they're logged in and it, it's, it's scaled so quickly and globally. Josh, you've mentioned policy several times here and what the policy is and, and so on. Can you, can you dive into that just a little bit? How granular is it uh, near the top of the show? We made this point that, Hey, for, you know, modern security, it's not just five tuple source and destination. We really want to know what's happening inside the conversation. Does that impact the policy that we're talking about here? Yeah, um, I mean, every company's going to be different. Every company looks at how what they're allowed to have their end users browse to the internet or get to back down the premise and things like that. Being financial industry, uh, we're fairly a lot more restrictive, so we don't allow you know just to any random shared drive, you know, go to Google to Drive or Box. Like it needs to be uh, an approved site that we have an enterprise agreement with, or can't go to their personal email because you know we need to make sure we're replying or reporting a compliance correctly of like only monitored communication paths. So going back to the policy, definitely strict, you know, more on the strict side, we're looking at, uh, we're doing all SSL decryption, all the traffic going out uh, with the exception of like, you know, financial and personal information, healthcare, things like that. Everything else is decrypted that goes out to the internet or even comes back to on-prem to look deep into the packet, look at the layer seven application of what it is that they're actually doing. You know, are you just going to, uh, are you going to Twitter? Okay, well, we allow you to browse to Twitter, but you can't post on a Jeffrey's computer. So we're able mm-hmm. to identify that difference of traffic, and we're able to really hone in on what we're able to allow our end users to do, what not to do. And obviously, you know, on all that traffic and traffic and being decrypted, we're able to see, you know, is something trying to sneak inside an SSH tunnel? Oh, the SSH tunnel is being decrypted. What's actually happening? Are you trying to transfer a file? Like, no bueno. You can't transfer files here. You, you <laughs> got to go through the approved way. Like, sorry. So we're able to really do that. And unifying all that policy towards the same was huge. And for those who think of, of the decryption as a bit magical and uh, heavy where that would be happening, how, how is that happening? Do you have central points of enforcement or you push all of that uh, cracking into the decrypted, cracking into the encrypted sessions out at the edge? Uh, all at the edge. So what happens is, you know, for a laptop, you're sitting at home, Starbucks, maybe you're on the West Coast, sitting in California, um, maybe even sitting in a car somewhere. It's uh, you, your laptop connects, you're connecting full tunnel to the closest pop sitting in California, wherever the case may be. And it's basically, I mean, in order to achieve SSL decryption, it has to be a man in the middle attack. So we have a certificate that is presented that we trust, uh, a Jeffrey certificate that's presented to the computer and mm-hmm. the browsing of such, it, it trusts that we trust the site you're trying to go to. So as the traffic flows through, goes to the edge, gets decrypted, looks at the packet and then re-encrypts it and sends it on its way. Yeah, but if they don't present that certificate, you don't let them into the network. Correct, that, exactly. That's not even a start, right? That, and so yeah. in that a sense, the user has to opt in. They have to be on an approved laptop have to be authenticated and they have to present a certificate and part of the onboarding of those staff is we are going to monitor your internet activities on this work laptop if you want to do stuff go and do it on something else exactly <laughs> that's not a yeah. not a company laptop yeah and that, that might sound complicated or confusing to you know to have a certificate presented but realistically everything that we do is completely seamless it's all single sign-on the certificates presented in the back um, it uses the Kerberos login that you're logging into your Windows 10 machine and it does a single sign-on. So for the end user perspective, it's very seamless. So why it sounds daunting and that, like end user has to enter a smart card or, you know, like kind of going back in the old days of entering an RSA stop, key. And, stop, oh, stop. I'm getting, yep. I'm getting twitchy. 
Because yeah, I, I used to run these. <laughs> I'm getting a bit twitchy. I'm getting a bit twitchy. Kumar, I've got a question for you. Like, we're talking about stuff which, if you are a customer and you live on the in, in the front lines, it sounds a bit mystical that you can take all of these products, mash them together, and then suddenly say, "Hey, we've just taken all these things that we spent 20 years building and just mashed them all together into a cloud service." Is it really that simple? <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I, I credit years and years of engineering in uh, putting the backend and the infrastructure together. When you look at a service like this, uh, there's two big components that you can think of that require heavy investment in. Uh, the first is the infrastructure, right? You need this massively globally distributed infrastructure with a very, very powerful network backbone that can host the service. Yeah, Because you have to ensure that the end user experience, end user performance is really good, right? And the whole you know, tug of war between usability and security. If the system is not usable, high performant, then people are going to complain and you're going to have security practitioners are going to have a challenge getting users to use the service well. So we built this massive service, highly distributed uh, with cloud-like properties. Uh, we take advantage of uh, uh, the a very powerful backbone in partnership with Google. And then the other half of the engineering work is really around ensuring that this rich security stack. And in Palo Alto, we have close to 15 years of deep investment in PanOS and, and a whole series of innovations culminating in our ML-powered uh, security capabilities, all of which we've now made available uh, yeah. as part of our service, right? So it's definitely a lot of engineering on the back end, such that on the front end, what we are able to show uh, our users and our security administrators, the goal is really that you're turning on the tap, you're making selections for security, and you're consuming it on the go. So there's a touch of SD-WAN here. There are SD-WAN companies or SaaS companies out there who make a big deal about the fact that they're trunking traffic over backbones, over they're not using the public network, they're not moving it over the internet they're moving it over the private backbones. And what they're normally referring to is they're using Google or AWS or Azure to transport that traffic. Now you're doing that, but that's just one feature out of all these others. Yeah, so in our case, uh, when we think about the full solution, right, you mentioned the word sassy, we have way more than a touch of SD-WAN. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Given my background as uh, founder CEO for CloudGenics and the acquisition by Palo Alto of our SD-WAN uh, solution, when we think about SASE, right, we think about the fact that we're trying to provide security and SD-WAN or network across the all the edges where the user may consume their applications. So yes, on the mobile user, the home user, you, you're, you're coming in over, let's say, a client or clientless approach into Prisma Access. And then as uh, post-COVID people start coming back to the branch office, from the branch, we have our SD-WAN solution. Right. It used to be CloudGenics. We've rebranded yep. re it as Prisma SD-WAN because yep. uh, mm -hmm. uh, we are pretty creative with names that way. <laughs> <laughs> so does what it says on the tin. <laughs> and, but I think, uh, I think there's an interesting angle here. So we've yeah. talked with Josh about Jeffrey's using this for remote access, but you can also use this whole technology for branches or that's industrial exactly. sites or whatever, right? So that's, that's exactly not what, really right. what we wanted to talk about today, but this is an SD-WAN has been security brokered, sassy. That whole bundle is there. 
Oh, very much so, right? So, you know, once you start deploying Prisma SD-WAN and you, it's tightly integrated now with Prisma Access. So what happens is that when you're at the branch, the biggest problem or some of the biggest problems that customers have been trying to solve at the branch in addition to SD-WAN has been that when I need to send services, right? I want security at the branch. I want collaboration services at the branch. I want visibility monitoring, et cetera. It used to be that you're deploying multiple hardware devices, right? An appliance mm. for each, or you know, you try to stuff everything as hardware blades into a Mongo router. What we're able to now offer as an industry, and definitely as uh, us here at Palo Alto, is that for the branch, you deploy the SD-WAN footprint and nothing else. Because we're tightly integrated with this Prisma Access service for a complete SASE offer, you can now invoke security, you can invoke collab, you can invoke visibility, monitoring, all these services uh, using that SD-WAN footprint and the Prisma Access distributed service. So Josh, is that something that you're using? Are you using the SD-WAN capabilities or are you using it straight up for remote user access? Yeah, so our main use case right now is remote user access, but we're actually very soon, uh, later this year, going to be expanding that to leverage into the branches. So mm -hmm. while we're definitely looking and exploring into what Palos, as far as their Cloudgenics and their SD-WAN capabilities, we're going to kind of take a little bit of a different approach. We're going to still leverage what we have today for SD-WAN, but we want to be able to be a little more resilient to where we don't have to trunk all the locate all the traffic from our branch offices back to a headquarter just to get out to the internet. We want to mm -hmm. kind of split that out, but we need to split that out and still be secure and efficient. So yeah. leveraging Prisma Access for our branch sites we'll be able to basically have the egress point, you know, if it's local traffic, go to data center, we'll go over RSD-WAN. But if it's going to the internet, it's going to connect to a much closer pop to that branch location and use the same policy base, same security, everything else that our laptops are using. And it's it just bonds into the, the same security cluster. Yeah, exactly. The whole security yeah. cluster, remote access, branch, it's all the same. Yeah, uh, exactly. In a weird sort of a way. So it's all centralized. Uh, Josh, I want to ask a question here about how end users access it because I just want to understand how, if I was sitting in front of a laptop, do you actually install a VPN client on those laptops? Because sometimes you install a client, sometimes people just point a web browser at a proxy address that's on the internet somewhere and it's taken care of. But then you've got RDP, you've got thick apps. What's the process for the end users actually connecting? Yeah, so you brought up a good point. Just like what you mentioned, like RDPing, and we have a lot of thick clients uh, being a financial institution. The main requirement is some of those thick clients still need to be able to run on whatever end, end user computing device is. So we, to answer your question, we do install the Global Protect client, part of Prisma Access. It's the actual VPN client that gets installed on the agent or on the mm -hmm. endpoint as the agent. And, you know, kind of what I talked about earlier, you know, we talked about the certificates and checking the certificate and checking the user credentials and the single sign-on, the seamless experience, that is all handled by the agent. And it makes that VPN tunnel. And this is where, you know, depending on the on the type of customer you are, the type of business, but we went for more on the side of security and caution. We do a full tunnel to the closest Prisma Access pop using that agent. But it's not just going through that tunnel once it's been established, even though you're not split tunneling, you're sending everything through. It's that when you're going through that tunnel, you've got a bunch of metadata wrapped around that connection where there's context where you know yes. 
user and what their security posture is and all that stuff because the agent's giving you all of this extra information. Yeah, exactly. So we do uh, prior to even the authentication and logging in. Well, I guess it's after the actual authentication check. It does a hip check, checks to make sure, hey, do you have the right antivirus installed? Do you have the right thing? Who are you? What is your AD group membership? What do you have access to based on your AD group membership? Where could you do? Um, uh, maybe I'm a banker and I can go to file sharing sites. Okay, based on AD group membership, you can go there versus, oh, I'm just HR. I can't, uh, you know, I can't go this or what, whatever the case may be. So definitely all that metadata is layered on top and it's, it's exposed to us in the management portal to build those policies based on what the device is, the health of the device. Um, am I going to let you onto my network or not? Um, if I do let you onto my network, I'm going to put you into quarantine, let you update, fix yourself, and then you can, then I'll let you on kind of thing. So that is all part of the client that we're able to deploy. Now, can that change during the course of their session or once they've been authenticated in that posture established, are they kind of good to go as long as the policy allows them to access whatever resource they're good? Or is there this constant reassessment going on? Yeah, I mean, well, we definitely kind of reassess it. I mean, it's, it's all configurable. Us, we do every six hours is kind of do a reassessment to make sure nothing's really changed. It doesn't kick the user off or anything. It just kind of happens in the background, sends up that metadata back to the you know policy, make sure there's no new policy needs to be applied like that. So we went with that approach. Um, we used to be on a proxy uh, based architecture where, you know, you had a, the pack file and everything was going through a central proxy and um, which, which was very headache. And a lot of, I'm a lot getting of the shivers again. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I spent it, so much time working on proxy pack files. I mean, it, it, yeah. It, it, I get the shivers too. I mean, cause yeah. we had, you know, looking from an operational perspective, we had multiple policies that we had to manage from our security team. We had to, you know, if you're on a VDI, you get this policy because you're using this proxy or you're on a laptop and you're using this. And yeah, it just gives me the shivers as well. I mean, yeah. Definitely don't want to go back to that approach personally as as the company. And that's why we moved to Prisma Access and to give that with the client, give that seamless experience. You know, I'm loving this discussion about proxy versus non-proxy. In addition to all the great points that uh, Josh was talking about, you know, we analyzed about 500 of our customers' the uh, actual traffic data and, and the results from that showed that uh, about 53% of uh, remote worker threats, they're still for non-web applications. Right, things like file sharing, P2P applications, et cetera. So definitely having a proper client gives you the ability to secure all your applications, not just web. At the same time, like Josh said, there's a lot of custom or customers that used to have on-prem proxies using packed files. And so what we've done uh, also is uh, we released explicit proxy support so that customers that want to make a quick migration based off a proxy, a proxy architecture, they can also take advantage, uh, mm. definitely with a view that in the long run, right, migrate to a full-blown client-based architecture. Uh, yeah. And the reality is that uh, with our global product client, right, like you guys discussed, we've filled it with a lot of functionality. In fact, uh, we even included, we've now incorporated digital experience management as part of that same client, Greg. All right. Now, this is important for reasons that aren't obvious. Digital experience management is really hot at the moment. And this is the idea that living with your VPN isn't just about giving access to the service. Users are going to ring up and say, my internet, you know, why, why is the network running slow? And you're looking at them going like it could be your Wi-Fi, it could be a laptop, 
could be your router's got a problem, could be your internet service provider, it could be the WAN, it could be the backbone. You know, you actually need to have a tool that's actually able to see what the user's seeing so that the help desk gets a gets a fighting chance to debug the problem, right? That's exactly right. And the problem only got exacerbated with this uh, whole migration uh, to work from home that happened because of COVID, right? If you had 100 branch offices and you have 10,000 employees, all of a sudden now you have 10,000 home offices that IT yeah. is trying to support. And so we actually acquired, and this might be, uh, you know, we didn't make a public announcement about it. So it will be a little bit of uh, first news uh, to your listeners. But we acquired a company called Cinefa uh, mm-hmm. late last year. And, uh, you know, even in the magic quadrants from Gartner, et cetera, they were seen as a visionary. And what we've done is we've natively embedded that digital experience, visibility, monitoring functionality as part of our SASE offer. So if now a user has, uh, you know, what we're able to do is even before a user actually says, I have bad experience with an application, we use synthetics to be able to establish baselines, deviations from baselines, so that proactively we know that uh, the user experience at a location is probably falling below a threshold. And when that happens, you can actually break it down by segment because you need mm-hmm. to know, is it a laptop issue or a device issue? Is it a Wi-Fi or access to Wi-Fi issue? Is it your local internet provider? Or is there a middle mile issue? Is there an issue with your SaaS provider, right? Your SaaS services are running hot, Office 365, you know, maybe Microsoft is having an issue in their data center, et cetera. You yeah. get that kind of granular information so that you get rapid time to problem resolution. Yeah, so the help desk can go straight to that person's, like the monitoring data or the visibility data or the digital experience. Very uncomfortable word, digital experience. It explains what it is, but it's not very good for everyday use, is it? But the help desk can which go straight why, to it. You know. Yeah, which is why we say DEM. Right. So uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's how we invent three letter acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so, so you can go straight into that and see what part of the user sequence, what is it between in, the, in that whole chain of services that's having the performance problem? So that oh. digital experiencing monitoring is actually probably because this notion of distributed work or hybrid work or remote, I don't call it remote because I think the future is going to see the office as remote. Most people will work at home most of the time. That's not, you know, everybody will have a different experience of that. And the reality is, is that work is distributed to wherever it's going to be. And that ability to move the monitoring right out to the edge of the network is is something that's a whole new idea, something we actually haven't done before. Well, Josh, how, do you get a lot of calls for from remote folks who are either struggling to get access to something they, they oh, need man. access to or or performance challenges? Oh, boy, I tell you what, our number one, so since pre you know, post-COVID and deploying everything out, number one issue has always been, hey, I can't, I, I, my laptop's not working. Why, why isn't it working? Like, ah, oh, well, we got to figure it out. 99% of the time, it's, you know, the Wi-Fi is weak signal, um, something with their ISP, uh, high latency. There was this big outage with uh, Verizon Files in uh, a couple of uh, last year, late last year massive issues, if we were able to pinpoint easily with that digital experience, which is why we're really excited for it, um, it would have cut down our time to resolution to say, hey, listen, I mean, Hmm. you're at home, you're on a home ISP. That's one of the gotchas of working from home is if you're not, if you don't have the connectivity, then you're not going to be able to do anything, which is, you Hmm. know, it's kind of the nature of the beast. Yeah. But it's a speed, how quickly you can get to that. Exactly. 
And that's money, right? Yes. Because your help desk people aren't sitting there for two hours with an aggressed, you know, a person who (laughs) says, I've got a critical meeting coming, and they're getting angrier and angrier and angrier at you. So now what we'll do is instead of, uh, you know, the end user getting mad at the help desk, our help desk, we'll just shift that over to the ISP help desk and, you know, push (laughs) it on over there. Let the anger go that direction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that unfortunately... Uh, we've run out of time today talking about Prisma Access with Palo Alto Networks. Thanks so much to them for sponsoring us and helping us to be here every day. If you want to find out more information about Prisma Access, really, you can just search up Palo Alto and Prisma Access. But they have a special website at paloaltonetworks.com slash remote dash security where you can find out a whole lot more. I particularly uh, will link you to the Prisma Access at a glance if you're like me and you want to just get a quick summary so to think whether this is sane or not, uh, I've put that page into the show notes. If you head over to packetpushes.net, you can take a look at that and you can actually see a, a really two-pager that sort of hits the high notes. And if you know a little bit about this topic, you can get straight into it. Uh, so if you want any more information, go and talk to Palo Alto and your preferred reseller. Now, as always, you can find this and many more fine free technical podcasts along with our community blog at packetpushes.net. You can follow us on the social medias, mostly on Twitter is at Packet Pushes, and we're on LinkedIn. If you follow us there, we'll continually post updates of new shows and new content like this. And if you could rate us in your favorite cold podcatcher, that would absolutely help us out. It helps us to be here and to keep on uh, delivering information like this. And last but never, ever least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>